becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of credit. It's a dream that you don't take real. Everybody knows it. That's a, that's a that's true. Yeah, even though even though I haven't seen it, I know it. Uh huh. Yeah. Hey, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Woo. To cold. the shores. To the shores. It is cold. Welcome to Shores of Ignorance from the wintry, snowy, <laughs> icy, out of control panicky <laughs> apocalyptic state of the city of Austin. <laughs> and we're underneath another boil water. Note. Yes. We have to boil our water. We're getting power back. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, it's been crazy here. <laughs> I, was, I was texting somebody this week and I was uh, actually a couple people. And uh, I was like, yeah, March to March just feels like someone just keeps kicking me right in the nuts. Yeah. Just, just keeps kicking keeps kicking <laughs> it's like and then those memes just were need, just can can they just kick somewhere else <laughs> just for a while it's like 2020 hold my beer <laughs> yeah 2021 <clears throat> um yeah it's pretty wild how negatively affected this city has been by six inches of snow yeah like everything shut down uh-huh. which is i mean that happens when it rains for God's sake. Like, um, but like literally everything was closed. School shut down for a week. Mm -hmm. The the craziest thing was the number of people whose pipes froze. They were without water. Power went out for like half, half of Texas as, as far as I understand. Yeah. You know, in some cases people were without power for days. Oh yeah. And I know a lot of people have been out for like, I think since Monday or something like that. So three or four days. So, which is awful. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's the same thing. Like, like how did people live here during the summer, you know, without AC, Mm, you just sit in your house and just sweat all the time. Yeah. Well, and and what did people do, you know, when it got cold Mm -hmm. before like central heat and all of that, I guess everybody had a fireplace and a stove and you just, I think it's so interesting. Like the, the, the extremes that people had to be okay with before the very, very recent past yeah it's interesting as i was about to say this i was just like well you know everything we say is like there are people really suffering through this but there's also this ironic part like how some of you up until this current like last 50 years 100 years in that period Mm -hmm. they had to deal with adverse conditions much worse all the day all the time on a daily basis whether extreme heat or coldness or whatever it might be yeah Lack of food, lack of hygiene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't eat for a day, which means only two meals. <laughs> right. We start storming the grocery store. Yeah, and stuff. that was the most <clears throat> crazy thing to me was that, so what was it today? What's today? Thursday? So Tuesday, mm-hmm. I needed to go to the grocery store, but the grocery stores had closed on Monday and mm-hmm. they were going to be open from 12 to 5 on Tuesday. And I got to the grocery store here in my neighborhood about 1230 on Tuesday the line outside the store was, I would guess, four or five hundred people long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wrapped all the way out of the parking lot, down the street, like a block and a half, and then wrapped around back into this other parking lot. 
That's like a half mile. Yeah. I mean, this was like orders of magnitude longer even than what was going on at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know, when there was a literal run on like, you know, toilet paper and (laughs) um, food and all of that. So that shocked me. Like, I don't know why we had, people had such a a stronger uh, run on the grocery store response because of this. Well, maybe it speaks to, we don't, we don't prepare now. It's sort of like, we're so, uh, oriented to these, these sort of, um, on demand or what was that? Uh, you know, those, those different companies that have, you have things that are <clears throat> like, they don't have a stockpile of things. Like they have to have it on demand. Right. There's a certain right. terminology for that. Um, on demand sounds right to me. <laughs> it does sound right. Uh, you know, and we're just, we're such a, uh, we don't have to have contingency plans for, mm-hmm. you know, well, that's totally true. I mean, I, I grocery shop every day or every other day. Mm-hmm. I mean, even during the pandemic, Yeah, I just, my brain doesn't work like, let me sit down and write a list of everything we need from the store for this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I can't really think that many meals ahead, <laughs> Yeah, but that, you know, I just think about like growing up, my mom didn't like, she couldn't do that because we lived 45 minutes or whatever from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. It's like, it wasn't worth it to go every day. So you kind of had to do something different. Yeah. But I live three minutes from the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I can afford to do that. So how has all of this, um, you know, obviously this shut things down, this shut your stores down. Mm-hmm. Um, how's this affected you personally? Wow. Um, yeah, it's just wild to have to, you know, it's like you're already trying to get back from this whole COVID thing and yeah. then to have to shut down for I think three or four days now and we're not going to be open tomorrow either. So it's, it's kind of sucky. Dang. Um, but, uh, just personally, like I have routines that mm-hmm. I do and, uh, my office is in the roasting facility and I go there in the morning <clears throat> and make my coffee, kind of do my morning routine and then I come home. Well, this week <laughs> there's no electricity there and it's freezing cold at the, at the shop, <laughs> at the shops. So yeah. I can't make coffee uh-huh. and I just sit there in the dark. So it's like, so I try to do it at Wait, home. You try to do that, <clears throat> go to the shop, even though there was no electricity and try to do your thing. Yeah. Well, the, uh, <laughs> um, well, it was the first day it happened was I think it shut off on a Monday, early Monday morning. So I was up there at, you know, uh, four o'clock in the morning and, nothing was on. So I was like, okay, well I guess I'll go home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a, well, luckily we had some instant coffee there. <laughs> instant coffee. Uh, yeah. We were, we're, it was probably good instant coffee. It was. Yeah. was Medici's making their own instant coffee. Right oh, now, cool. That's so. <laughs> pretty awesome. Nice. Did I let you try some? No. Oh, shoot. Okay. I should have brought some with yeah. me. Um, <clears throat> so that was actually good, but it was still broke my routine. Um, yeah, it was just awkward cause I had to, figure out a place to read and to work. And, uh, that was just not my normal, (laughs) my normal way. (laughs) It always surprises me. I mean, we like dealt with this a lot, you know, in the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. when you have your routine altered so drastically, like the effect that it has on you is so surprising. Mm. Like it's not small Mm -mm. and your routine can be trivial and the change can be trivial too. Um, it can be trivial changes, but if you change the whole routine, like psychologically it messes with you. Yeah. 
Well, I'm, I'm definitely not the, it's not a bragging thing, but I'm a very efficient person. So I like to build things into my, my day to, so I, I know what I'm doing when I'm doing it. And I, I've felt so lost this week. <laughs> like I, I mean, I got a lot done, but like, I don't feel like I got it done because it was so, it was just all over the place. And yeah, because you didn't, well, it's like when you don't have, when your schedule when your normal schedule changes, you don't know how to categorize anything anymore. Things don't fall in the right place. And so you can be just as productive, but it won't feel that way. Yeah. Was your week, was your week odd or was it? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt real odd because mm-hmm. the kid, you know, they canceled school. So oh, the kids yeah. didn't have to go to school, which means that I didn't, you know, really have to get up at any certain time. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of all over the place in terms of like when I was waking up and then, you know, um, like cooking routines were different. Eating was different. Everything sort of felt like very monotone. Like everything (laughs) was the same all of the time. Uh Um, and so sort of like simultaneously boring and not, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it's funny because I kind of don't want to go into all the things that I do because I feel it makes me feel ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us a taste. Well, I mean, by this time in the week, I would have already read a book, mm-hmm. like a full book and and maybe into another one. You know, it's like and I haven't done that. And so I feel mm-hmm. kind of I don't have any I don't have a reference for time and Mm. It's, it's like your sense of time is altered because yeah. you're not measuring it by the same things. Exactly. Uh, that's fascinating. So I would have something that I would, I would be working on. And uh, I mean, there's one book I go back and I'm reading a chapter of it a day. And even that I haven't been able to get into because, because by the time I'm, I'm changing my routine, I'm like, well, I don't have time for that. And then what do I have time for? And so I can't, it's like, I spend so much time trying to figure out where I'm adjusting. Yeah. And that's really, uh, well, I think, you know, we, we've kind of hit on this in a couple of previous episodes, but it's like to, in order to function in life, like we need things that are understood well enough such that we can ignore them. Mm-hmm. And when everything changes to where you can't really ignore very much because everything is different in some small way. So you kind of have to keep track of what's different and what's the same. You don't have spaces as much in, anymore inside of your day to do things like sit down and focus on reading. Yeah. Because, or my exercise routine. Like yeah, I didn't totally, ex- I didn't exercise for three days in a row. Yeah. And I same. freaking hurt my back, mm. <laughs> you know, cause I didn't do my stretches and all that right. kind of stuff. And it was just, yeah, my exercise exercise routine went out of the window too. It just never felt right to do it. Mm-hmm. That's strange. But I did take a cold. I only took one cold shower this week. Ooh, I didn't. It was balls cold. I like, bet. <laughs> <laughs> it was like below freezing uh-huh. outside. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was it was intense. But it was interesting. Like the again, we've talked about this, but. The first 30 seconds of it, I was just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. making all these weird noises. And then you kind of settle into it and your body gets a little bit more numb and used to it. And it's like, that's kind of how it changes in general. At first you're thrown off and you're kind mm-hmm. of, <laughs> you don't have normal breathing. Totally. And then you start focusing on your breath and, you know, start kind of like being more aware of the, the shock of it sort of like over. And so you're kind of able to settle a little mm-hmm. bit more, which... 
maybe today I was a little bit more. So I guess I got to go to the office because the <laughs> electricity was on. So, yeah. so I do feel a little bit more settled today, which is nice. Good. <laughs> totally. So why aren't y'all opening tomorrow? Is it because of the roads or because of power? Uh, there's just too many factors involved. <clears throat> so we didn't know if it was going to like today, it looked like it was going to snow all day. Right. And, <clears throat> and so it's hard to just pivot on a dime. So usually by nine o'clock or between nine and one, we make the decision for the next, About the day. next day. Gotcha. And, and plus we have to go in and make all the sauces. So all the managers will go in and do all the sauces and for the food. Yeah. Throw out all the old milk that, mm-hmm. <laughs> so tomorrow is like going to be a, a catch up day and yeah. you know, it'll be safe for them to get to the shops and stuff. So. Right. So <clears throat> I don't know if it was just me, I probably would open it up tomorrow, you know, but yeah, but it's, there's more a lot more moving pieces than that. <laughs> totally. than just you. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, I mean, I guess you could just show up and <laughs> run it by yourself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I would not like, again, one of those things about routines. It's like when that is, was in my routine, I was super efficient and like I could, right. you know, just rock and roll with it. Now it, it would take me twice as long as to do anything <laughs> that right. my staff can do now. It's so much better than me. Totally. <laughs> so yeah, that muscle memory's kind of gone. Yeah. It takes a while to get back, mm-hmm. but I think the most shocking, what, what I, so, you know, it's funny, like people freak out about like driving. Mm-hmm. I, I went out and drove every day. Yeah. Um, partly cause I wanted to see what it was like, how the roads were and you can't really do that without trying. And then, mm-hmm. uh, also I've got four wheel drive, so I, I felt pretty safe. Um, yeah. and driving in like ice snow is pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like if you find a spot where the road's open enough and there's no cars around, you just kind of punch it and uh, you just like <laughs> you feel that slippy slidey. It's really fun. Um, you also like have to drive so slow mm-hmm. when you're around other people. Cause you never know how long it's going to take to stop, mm-hmm. what, you know, what's going to happen. Um, did you do any donuts? We're so, <laughs> no, I, I looked for a parking lot where I could go try to mm-hmm. throw some donuts, but yeah. I, every parking lot I found, it was like, there was enough snow in it where if there was like a, a curb, oh. you wouldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to run into one of those <laughs> under the snow and like jack up an axle or something. Yeah. Um, so responsible. You wouldn't have thought that way about 20 years ago. <laughs> probably not. But I was, 20 years ago I was driving a, uh, I think a 1997 Honda Civic that was a piece of junk. I drove that thing to hell. <laughs> That's awesome. I loved it. Um, what was I going to say? The road slippery. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I lost my train of thought on that one. That was my fault. I threw in the donuts. The donuts. <laughs> and now I'm just thinking about doing donuts. Yeah. <laughs> totally. No, I do. I do love driving in the snow and people, uh, you know, everyone's so scared about it. And that's something that's not, I don't think of it that way. Oh yeah. What I was going to say is like, it's really interesting. I mean, this is such a big deal. Like this weather is not a big deal, Mm -hmm. like relative to what humans can deal with and with weather. It's a big deal because it's here. Yeah. And we are completely unprepared Mm -hmm. for this. You know, it's like, It's six inches of snow, you know, 28 degree weather. I think it got down to 12 one day. Mm -hmm. Like this is a, like a nothing day in so many other places, Yeah. but we are unprepared for it. And 
weren't prepared for it because we don't ever deal with it. Like, mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. But I thought it was so interesting how, you know, like we're unprepared. Our infrastructure is unprepared for it, but also psychologically we're unprepared for it. Mm-hmm. You know, people, I think they're doing this run on the grocery store. And I noticed that the parking lot in the, in the grocery store was empty. Mm-hmm. So people were like walking to the grocery store. Yeah. And I thought we are psychologically fragile <laughs> like when we think that this is the apocalypse, you know? Uh, um, but again, it's because we don't ever deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not like we get a little taste of this every year. And I think if we did, then we'd be like, Oh yeah. Okay. It's icy, but we can still drive where we need to go. We don't have to close everything down. You just have to drive slower. You have to be more careful. You know, if you've got a front wheel drive, small little car, you know, maybe you put some, uh, tire treads on it or whatever, and mm-hmm. you, you solve for the problems, but we don't ever solve for the problems because they're not worth solving. Yeah. Because if you were to do the things required to solve the problem, then you wouldn't ever use that solution again for another <laughs> 10 to a hundred years, <laughs> you know? And so like uh-huh. 20 years later, you're like, why did I spend all that energy and money buying these tire treads that are now mm-hmm. just like, taking up space in my garage or whatever. Yeah. Um, but this is what I've been thinking about a lot is that, is that, well, is that idea, which I want to take that one a little bit further, but well, it's, so for instance, uh, you know, we don't have snow plows here and, you know, it would be helpful if we did mm-hmm. because you could clear the streets and people could go out about their business. But if the city were to buy snow plows, now you've got a fleet of snow plows that are sitting around unused for decades <laughs> yeah, totally. that have to be stored and maintained and people have to be trained to use them. And it's like, it, it would be an idiotic thing to do mm-hmm. to, to spend our resources that way. Yeah. Um, by the time so, you went, went to use it too, they'd be broken down they wouldn't work. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, Yeah. Every year you're going to have to go take them out to make sure that they run and change the oil you know, so, uh, so that they're you know, useful when the time comes. But the time comes so infrequently that it's just you can't make sense of that maneuver. Yeah, I've lived here for over 21 years, 22. Oh, shoot. No, 25 years. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, we, there was never an instance where you needed a snowplow in my 25 years here. This is the first time that I'd be like, oh, wow. If someone has snowplow business right now, they probably could make some bank. Right. But that's not a good investment. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't make back what they had lost <laughs> maintaining the fleet up until now. Exactly, you know? yeah. Well, so the other theme is that, like, the response to this, mm-hmm. and it's like a countrywide response. Like, people who don't even live in Texas are weighing in on this on, like, you know, yeah. Twitter and Instagram or whatever, mm-hmm. is that, like, we're playing this this blame game, mm-hmm. like things are really bad in Texas and this is whose fault it is, <laughs> you know? And, and so you got like AOC tweeting that this would never have happened if we had a green new deal, which I don't even understand that point. <laughs> but then you got the other side saying this wouldn't have happened if we weren't so reliant on wind energy, mm-hmm. you know, and you can parse this all day long, but like, I don't understand why we're playing this, this is whose fault it is. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'm thinking <clears throat> it's God's fault. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking, so what is the problem? Well, the problem yeah. is we're not prepared for this. Mm-hmm. Then the question is, well, should we be prepared for this? Mm-hmm. 
and that's where you start getting into the like, well, what does it take to maintain a fleet of snowplows? It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not sure that the answer to should we be prepared for an event like this is yes. Mm-hmm. I can't like just a back of the napkin calculation make sense of that. Yeah. Because the things you would have to do would just be so great and so many and so costly relative to their frequency of use that it just doesn't make any sense. You know, so the the bad part is that we have this, you know, I heard this was a once in a hundred year freeze here in, in Austin, mm-hmm. a lot of Texas. Um, so do we just take it? You know, every hundred years we just go, well, okay, we're going to have to just suffer through this because the cost of preparing for this just isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that seems to me to be what we have to do. And honestly, you know, mm-hmm. like it sucked and it's been really bad for some people, but honestly, it's like we were cold for a few days. Um, so it's very strange to me that we're playing this blame game about whose fault it is, who, who's, which party's policies are the fault, mm-hmm. you know, which politicians, which government leaders, mayors, governors, or whatever, you know, drop the ball or whatever. And then I just thought, oh, but that's right. We play that with everything now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we did it with the pandemic. We're still doing it with the pandemic. Yeah. We're doing it with this. This is just the way that we are, our society deals with things now. You jump in, you figure out who to blame, and then you lambast them. Yeah. Well, because you also don't hear about, you know, uh, <clears throat> because there is that, there is, a, you know, concern for like, you know, people who are on the streets or, you know, or maybe less fortunate that it might impact them more, you know, than, uh, sure. than other people. <clears throat> but then at the same time, you don't hear about like these churches opening up their doors and, you know, other, other, um, entities that are opening up their doors for people to come in and, and to take refuge. And it's like, we're all focused on all the negative aspects rather than, Hey, what are people doing to, to get through this? Right. And wouldn't that be cool to see instead of all the things that are going wrong? Well, what things are going right Yeah, are, are going well, at least, you know? Um, so again, it just goes back to that same, uh, sort of fear narrative, um, blame narrative that kind of, is is always prevalent. I mean, right. again, everyone says like, well, that's what sells newspapers. And well, that's what's yeah. interesting is I we've always had that problem with the news because mm-hmm. the news is always negative, and I think there's like a pretty obvious psychological reason for that. And I think that's that you hear good news, especially about people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, oh, good, that's nice. Mm-hmm. But when you hear bad news, you're like, what? <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. So for news to sell, and it has to sell for the business to work, it has to be bad, Yeah, most of it. Mm-hmm. And that was all fine enough when it was just newspapers and television and radio, um, you know, because you paid attention for an hour a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now with social media, social media is acting like news and we consume it constantly. Yeah. And... You know, I think you get a lot more engagement online when you tweet or Instagram about how your power's out and how miserable it is and how awful it is that this is the result of some policy from some person that I don't like. And if only that person would just wake up and do a better job, I wouldn't be suffering through this right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people jump on that, you know, whereas you make a post about power's out, but we're snuggled up and you know, 
doing okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, people just click right by. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or picture of you eating beans out of a can, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, Hey, this is kind of a novel thing, you know, yeah, it's, right. not, it's not, it's not good. I'm glad that I don't have to do this all the time, yeah, exactly, but you know, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. And it will be over cause Monday it'll be 70 degrees. <laughs> yeah. It, that's true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be 70 degrees in, on Monday. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. yeah. Texas. Yeah. I love it. I, I love too. Texas. <laughs> I do too. I just, I, yeah. But I think that's a, that's a thing for, for, especially for those of us who've grown up in Texas is that there is that sort of severity that exists here, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a charm to it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, there's something about like, if the weather's the same all year round, it's like, you don't have to have that, uh, diversity in how you engage different seasons, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, Austin's a little bit different from like Amarillo where I grew up where you have all four seasons and wind all the time, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but even like people up North too, it's like they get hit pretty hard. You know, it's like, it, it almost like equivalent to maybe our summer, but, um, you know, it's like where you have to actually shift and change your life pretty dramatically f- for that period of time. Totally. Like you kind of go <clears throat> into a hibernation of some sort. Yeah. You pull out a whole other set of clothes mm-hmm. that you wear for that season, which I noticed growing up in Texas that I never really had multiple sets of clothes. Mm-hmm. It's like, if it gets really cold, well, you're just really cold. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't stay really cold long enough to justify going out and buying all of these different, you know, long underwear and different jackets yeah. and boots and all of these things. So you just kind of suffer the misery uh-huh. until it's over. Yeah. And it wasn't until I lived in uh, some more northern places where I was like, oh, it's cold enough. It was like a month into it. I'm like, okay, it's cold enough where I need to go make some purchases because <laughs> totally. this is not going away right now. Yeah. I mean, like for our kids to go out and play in the snow, it's like, well, you get your warmest jacket on. You put whatever that may whatever be, whatever that jean may be. jacket or otherwise, <laughs> totally. or two or three jackets or whatever it yeah. might be, because for them to go, go buy a snowsuit for for one day, one or, day, or four days, every three years, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's just not, it's just not caught. I mean, it kind of goes back to your point about like, <clears throat> like what's, what's worth preparing for, you know, um, uh, whether it be financially or, or able to store it, to take care of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with kids, you buy a snowsuit this year, two years from now, it's not going to fit them. So you're buying it for one use. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I think that it's like, we understand that concept so easily, in the reverse when we're, when we're on the other side of it. Hmm. So like it hasn't been, a, it's been a while since I've heard many people talk about this, but remember when there was a lot of talk about preppers, Oh yeah, uh-huh. you know, people who would like stockpile <laughs> months and months worth of food and water for some apocalyptic event. And, yeah. you know, we would always kind of look at them or hear about it. Like, eh, that's it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like, is it worth putting all of your money into, <laughs> Uh-huh. all of that yeah. for something that's very unlikely to happen. And most people are just like, no, it's not like I'm going to live my life. Um, but I guess something happens and you feel much differently about it. But here's what you gotta do. <clears throat> At least one of your friends needs to be one of those people. Yeah. So like Allison's dad is that like if, if she hits uh, a fan, we're going to Allison's <clears throat> dad's house. <laughs> nice. He's got all the prep. <laughs> well, maybe you can introduce me and yeah, <laughs> I don't think I have one of those people in my life. Right you gotta, now. you gotta find one. So yeah. Or maybe you could be that person, so you should... <laughs> I'm not. Not that uh, person. Yeah, me neither. Although I did think about buying a generator just to have around. <laughs> you know, I kind of thought about that, too. Like, that that seems to be, like, a decent enough 
has decent enough use cases that aren't like mm-hmm. just tied to extreme winter events yeah. where it could be beneficial. Yeah. Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought we really get those here, but we right. just get some after effects of stuff. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, well, just the ability to generate your own power on demand. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, so we are relying on this grid. That's the other interesting thing is that I learned that, um, I guess there's only three power grids in the United States and Texas has its own. The rest of the United States is under two separate power grids, but mm-hmm. one of the problems we're facing is apparently that mm-hmm. because we have our own grid. If it goes through trouble, we can't rely on other places in that you know that are far separated from us in the grid that aren't going through trouble. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not really sure what the benefits of having our own grid are, but that does seem like something of a there's a federal and negative and, and local. There, I think there's some sort of federal. Uh, uh, oversight or something that happens if you do that. But I, I didn't look into that too far, but mm-hmm. that was one thing was why Texas, one of the reasons why Texas hasn't expanded beyond its borders because it puts us under some sort of federal regulation. Mm, interesting. And Texas always has the idea of we're, <clears throat> we're separate, Self. <laughs> but we're all, we're also part of the United States. Right. right. <clears throat> There's definitely that attitude here. The Republic of Texas. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't going to go anymore with that one. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe we could talk about what the alternative is to this sort of blame narrative that's so popular right now. Mm. <clears throat> that's a hard one to get. Like before the podcast, where I was, I was, we were kind of talking about, well, what's the what's the alternative to sort of this blame narrative? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I just hear this all the time, like, Oh, let's turn Texas into a blue state. Let's keep Texas red, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm just sort of like, I don't, it might just be me. I just, I don't, I don't buy those narratives. Like what this blue state or red state narrative is. It's, it seems like it's, it's kind of childish in a sense. Um, and And there's certain reasons why, people are moving to Texas. So I think we just, we need to take note of that. Like why a lot of people, why are you moving to Texas? Um, which I really love living in Austin because it's a blue city, but in a red state. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really awesome. Like best of both worlds, best of both worlds. And it's the push and pull and the tension between those worlds, I think is really good and healthy. So if anything, I would, I would want, I would want the, I'd want, Texas to stay red and Austin to stay blue. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, it's, it's, there's a little bit of maybe arbitrariness to that, but well, it seems like a healthy tension, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, like Victor Frankl talks about that, about how tension is necessary for, mm-hmm. for mental health. Yeah. Um, so when you're sort of in that tension between a blue city and a red state or, a, you know, a blue mayor and a red governor or whatever, mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of like some built in tension, which provides a bit of gridlock mm-hmm. provides a bit of, um, checks and balance. Yeah. It's helpful. But well, I, I, maybe going back to like this whole name calling thing. Cause that is, yeah. so I, f- I feel like there's two, there's two different, there's two things happening and, and there's a, a, on a spectrum, but, but I, I put at the two, um, one is that there are times where we need to call out 
somebody or a party or an organization for wrongdoing, you know, and basically saying that that's not right. What you're doing is not right. Um, but then there's this other side of it where it's just way overplayed. Like we're just, we're doing it all the time and we're always looking for a new enemy. And I don't know whether it's, which that seems I, I to find be that individually in, right? as well as, as group oriented. Mm-hmm. Like I find, I, I, I see individual, uh, um, actors that are just moving on to the next thing of what is the next sort of blaming narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, now that we got Trump out of the way, we got, you know, now we can set our sights on other things, you know, but Trump was the huge part of that narrative, right? you know, to begin with, you know, or for the last four years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, well, you said you feel like there's some utility to placing blame on an institution or a party. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is that? Well, I just think whenever somebody has wronged somebody or has made a mistake and to, that they need to be brought to account for that mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it does have that sort of, you know, the boy who cried wolf. Um, you know, I, again, I think of like the whole Russia gate stuff for the last four years with Trump, you know, it's like, you know, Trump is annoying and he does a lot of annoying things, but at the same time, it's like, you guys are just, just everything is, is bad. Orange man, bad. And you're just sort of like, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, it just loses its effect. And so there's no longer like, like, uh, is that, re- is it really bad? You know, what, what, what really happened? You know? Yeah. Bad compared to what too is something that I think about, not in terms of that specifically, mm-hmm. but I'm just thinking like, we, it's probably worth us all dwelling a bit on the fact that there are bad things that happen that are not due to the fault of mm-hmm. an organization or an individual. Mm-hmm. That is a built-in piece of life. True. Gotcha. That will that won't change. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, for always seeking to find someone to blame or to make a fault. Well, it's a game that necessarily is going to turn innocent, the innocent into demons. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? <clears throat> well, if everything that goes wrong, mm-hmm. anything bad that happens has to be blamed on someone, then you're always going to make someone innocent guilty because mm-hmm. not everything that goes wrong is the fault of someone. Yeah. I mean, like our whole conversation about this, like what's happening in Austin. Well, whose fault is it? Well, I guess it depends on how you formulate the proposition. Like for it to be someone's fault would have to mean that there's something that they could have done to prevent it. Mm -hmm. But in this case, like we said, whatever, what you would have to do to prevent it wouldn't make any sense to do in the first place. Hmm. So it's not that person's fault. So now you have to make that innocent person guilty in order for your game to work. Interesting. So check this out. So you can almost, if you bring it down to the individual. So if we want to blame all everybody else, but why weren't you ready for this? Well, I don't have, I couldn't build, uh, 
a big well uh, to catch water, to provide my own water, to mm. solar panels, to wind energy in my backyard because it's too expensive. It's right. like, well, if this is really important, then you should be able to, you know, maybe don't go out to eat every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe only drive, have one car. So you could save money to, to have solar panels. So I have solar panels and to do all the things. It's, it's like, it's yeah, like, well, you that's can play the job. same game in reverse. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, so if you, if you look at your own, like from your own point of view, it's like, why weren't, why weren't you ready? Why wasn't I ready for this and prepared for it is because it's just not worth it to, for three days, or four days out of a 10 year or hundred year, whatever time, how many times this happens. Right. It's like, it's, it's worth it for me more to just kind of gut through these next four days. Cause even like I was looking at <clears throat> today, I was looking at UV light stuff for my uh, coffee shops so that, you know, anytime a, a, a boil notice comes up, we can continue to serve coffee without having to get, bring bottled water in. Hmm. And I was looking, I was like, you know, two grand a shop eh, might be worth it. I don't know. Cause I mean, we had water apocalypse like two years ago, <laughs> the same thing True. for like three, yeah. <laughs> three weeks, you know, and I had to bring all this bottled water in. Yeah. But it. like, how do you bet on when that would, might yeah, happen again? Totally. Which is what you would be doing by mm-hmm. investing in that system is exactly. placing a bet on the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like playing the stock market, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, I, I saw this, uh, I want to read this tweet from, Previously, Holly math nerd. Now she's Holly post post apocalypse elf. <laughs> Holly post apocalypse elf. Um, it's a long thread, but she says something about how um, she basically says, "I know from my own lived experience as a PTSD patient how comforting it is to live in fear all the time. It relieves you of personal responsibility and provides inordinate excuses." Hmm. Um, I thought that was so fascinating that living in fear is comforting yeah. and it, and it is so because it relieves you of personal responsibility. So if I can make something bad about someone else's failure, mm-hmm. then it's no longer my fault. So there's nothing I could have done about it. Yeah. So now things might be still be bad for me, mm-hmm. but at least I'm comforted knowing I didn't fail. Yeah. So I have an inordinate <clears throat> number of excuses to use to say why I didn't do anything myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't have. It was someone else's job. And I think the solution to this whole blame game is personal responsibility mm-hmm. for each of us taking it. But that also means that we have to confront the fears that we have. It means that we can't live in fear. Mm-hmm. And it means that there's going to be discomfort, discomfort of a different time, a, a different type. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable living through the last five days. You know, we're not used to this cold. It's wet, power's out, jobs are closed, schools are closed. It's the definition of discomfort. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the alternative, so, so you can respond to that by saying, by, by proclaiming who dropped the ball, whose fault this was, or you can take personal responsibility for it by thinking through things like, you know, what is it worth putting solar panels on my roof? Mm-hmm. And then like through all of the things you might have to do to make that happen and go through the cost benefit analysis of all of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
to your point, it's like, why blame the government before yourself? Mm -hmm. There are things you could have done to be more prepared for this, but you weren't. Why? Especially this day and age. I mean, there's so many things that are available to us to, to take precautions in these areas. I mean, like solar panels wasn't a thing you could do 10 years ago. Right. Super expensive, you know, or, or a, a water well system or whatever you mm-hmm. call it, rainwater capture systems. Totally. Yeah. You know, those are still expensive, but there's, you know, you go to YouTube and <laughs> yeah, you can set you it can, up. You can set it up yourself. I mean, you can cobble something together uh, with, if it's that important to you. If it's that important to you. Yeah. yeah. So like what's important to you? Cause the, cause the alternative is making your whole well being or putting your whole well being in someone else's hands. Then you don't get to determine what's important to you. Yeah. You just get what you get. Mm-hmm. And, that seems to me to be a, you know, even if the pre, the people's hands you put your well-being into, let, let's say, prevent another power outage. Mm-hmm. Like, if we say, oh, my well-being's in the government's hands, and the benefit of that is that my power never goes out again. I'm not sure that's worth the cost of being able to decide what's important to me mm-hmm. and allocate my own interests and resources allocate my own comfort yeah and discomfort do i want to experience my discomfort in changing my finances and my hobbies how i spend my time where i put my resources in order to put solar panels on my house or do i want to spend my discomfort muscling through four days of cold Mm -hmm. you know i mean me personally right now I'm not going to put solar panels on my roof, Mm -hmm. but that is a solution that would have prevented some of the problems I've experienced over the last couple of weeks or the last couple of days. I guess the sun went a bit out, so you might've been kind of screwed on that area. Well, but if you had, (laughs) you know, you'd have to like have the solar panels and then also have like one of those Tesla battery packs. So it's storing the power. So it lasts, you know, Uh it's like the preparations are many. Uh Yeah. And it takes work. I mean, no matter how you, how you look at it, I mean, it's like, what do we want? I mean, there's a certain part, like we just want to be taken care of somebody else to take care of us. Um, I don't know how people feel about Andrew Carnegie, but he's, he's got some really good writings. And one thing was, is what the state's, what the state's job is versus what our job is. Mm-hmm. Um, like the state's job is to take care of people who can't take care of themselves. Um, and it's our job to, t- to help our neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I know that's a, it's a very fine distinction, but it's sort of like, uh, it's, let me just paint in a worse picture in a worse, worse way. It's the state's job to take care of people who refuse or cannot take care of themselves. Like are, are in such a position that, that, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of overstepping my, my thoughts here. I, I, anyways, I thought his, his point was, was interesting in that. God, I'm gonna make so many bad analogies. I could just get nailed to the wall. <laughs> like I'm fighting. The, like I was going to make the, uh, I'm going to do it anyways, but like make the, like the heroin addict, you know, it's like, you cannot help a heroin addict, you know, mm. but at the same time, they're in society, so you have to provide a space for them some way or somehow, whether right. that is just to allow them to 
to lay on lay in the street and do their thing. Right. Um, yeah, they have to be somewhere. They have to be somewhere. Yeah. And so, so the state has to figure out where are we going to allow this person to be? Well, he can't be in front of a business business's door or something like that right. or in somebody's backyard, you know? Um, <clears throat> and so they kind of allow certain, certain allowances for people that maybe are not wanting help. Um, but then also they're also this, you know, partly providing the resources for people who do want help or, you know, and there's a fine line between all, I'm, I'm fighting a little bit too black and white. So, uh, there's, it's, there's a lot of gray in all this, but so I, I guess yeah. the, my point is, is just that there is, there's a, there's a certain, there's a certain part that we need to take responsible for ourselves and also for our neighbors. Yeah. There's some other responses to this thing, all the stuff that's happened in Texas that got me thinking about that too, that, that I think we generally, well, socially, which I mean, by which I mean, as a society, don't seem to be spending very much time or really asking this question at all. The question of what should the government be prepared for? Mm-hmm. And somebody, I saw somebody say something like the government wasn't prepared for the pandemic. They weren't prepared for some, this and that, something else. And they're not prepared for a winter storm like this mm-hmm. failure all around, you know? Yeah. And I just thought, <clears throat> Well, what should the government be prepared for? Because there's an infinite number of things which could happen. Yeah. You know, it can't be prepared for everything. Mm-hmm. And it seems like our response to things these days, <clears throat> societally, is to blame the state, the government, the collective somehow, or those in power somehow. I don't know mm-hmm. how to define that exactly. Um is to put the fault on them for everything, for every shortcoming. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think we ought to ask ourselves, what should the government be prepared for? Like, because I, I don't know an immediate answer for that. I mean, I guess my immediate answer for that is we should be prepared to protect our country. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, we should have a military. Yeah. Obviously, there's more things the government should do than that, but that seems like an obvious one to me. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond that, it's hard for me to come up with really obvious things. Well, I think <clears throat> I think the hard thing because we do this, and it's and it, it's not any different for a business than it is for a government than it is for an individual. Is at some point you have to accept a certain amount of risk. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think there's this. All, there's also we we're unwilling to acknowledge that that is true. Like if we do this, there's a certain amount of risk that is associated with this decision. Mm -hmm. Um, like, uh, you know, even with this whole pandemic thing and and the teachers unions not wanting to go back to school, I think this more in California. Um, it's like, okay, so you're putting safety on a pandemic scale or on the, on a, on a health scale, I don't know, even health, which is say infectious scale higher than, you know, kids who actually need to go to school, who Mm -hmm. need to be in school, uh, especially lower economic kids where that's the place that it might be the safest place for them, Mm -hmm. or that's the only place they're going to get the tools they need to move forward in life, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, and, and so, you know, we're putting this value of, um, health sickness over these other values 
And like, is that, so that's the risk we're taking. The risk of putting that value highest, the risk is that these other people are going to be left behind, Mm -hmm. not get education, be maybe in unsafe home environments, um, mental health, not being able to be around their friends and kids need to be around other kids and get socialized. So, um, I just don't think we're comfortable with, with risks. I think eventually it will be, it'll shift and be like, Oh, look at how they didn't do do enough for these kids. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, no, you made all these decisions over here. And part of the risk of making those decisions is it's going to affect <clears throat> these kids right. in this way. Right. And I would call that a trade off more than a risk. Yeah. Cause I, I, I think it's guaranteed mm-hmm. that, the kid, well, obviously the kids are affected by this. Mm-hmm. So the, if teachers go, don't go back to work, the kids are going to pay a price. Yeah. You know, and whether that's kids who are experiencing abuse at home mm-hmm. because the school system is, represents like, I think something I read, like 90% of oh, yeah. uh, CPS reports come mm-hmm. out of the school system. Um, or <clears throat> like my sister was a, an elementary school teacher for a long time and they had breakfast and lunch, uh, free food programs. Mm-hmm. And she was like, half of my class would not eat unless we had these programs mm-hmm. before we had them. I had six year olds. She taught a pre K or maybe K. I can't remember. Um, she was like, I had to have these six year olds show up and they haven't had breakfast and they can't concentrate. They can't do anything because their blood sugar is low. They haven't eaten, you mm-hmm. know, and then it comes time for lunch. They don't have lunch with them, you know? So, I mean, the school system provides a lot more than education. Like, yeah. it's a pretty huge safety net for mm-hmm. the well-being of our children. Mm-hmm. So, not having schools open is clearly costing our children something. Mm-hmm. So, I would say that and the word risk doesn't seem to work for me. Mm-hmm. Trade-off seems to work because we are trading our children's well-being for some other perceived well-being. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to screw this up, but I mean, that is risk though. It's sort of like a trade off is okay. This or this or okay. What are the risks if we choose this over this? So the risk, the risk of if we choose, you know, everyone stay at home and not go to schools, the risk of that choice is da, 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 da. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like if the other side, then it's like, you know, people will get sick. Kids might get sick. But again, if you look at under the age of 45 or 55, it's 4% risk of death, which is the same as, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, influenza, mm-hmm. uh, the flu. Right. Um, well, I guess I would just define risk as I'm taking a risk, meaning this negative effect may or may not happen. It's a risk. Mm-hmm. Whereas keeping kids out of school, it's not, there's not a risk that it's going to damage them. It is going to damage them. I guess the risks are the risk assessment that you would do as far as if you chose this over this. So what are, what, what's, what's, what are the, um, what are the, uh, the negative impacts that each one of those decisions will have? Because there will be negative impacts. Every every decision that we make has negative has impacts. negative impacts. There is no. Yeah, I get what you're saying. There's no. There's no decision that we make that. I, I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head as far as like. It is a trade off. Yeah. Like like you were saying. So. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know. It's just really frustrating because I think that's something that we've, we've lost perspective of is, is like we almost want every decision to be without risk. Mm-hmm. And that should, that should be bulletproof, foolproof. But I mean, we're dealing with people like it, it comes back to the, the beginning of our conversation of, um, you know, businesses and blame games and, and, uh, blaming people for certain things. It's, you know, we're just, we're all trying to figure this out. I think there are some malevolent people out there, but I kind of tend to think that most people aren't malevolent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the healthiest way to move forward is to, Except that most people want to do good. Yeah. Might be misguided or misinformed, <clears throat> but most people want to do good. But they, then it comes back to also like, how do you call out the people that are more malevolent, you know, or more, um, malevolent might be too strong of a word. Well, there's corruption. Mm-hmm. There is greed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> those things should be called out. Yeah. You know, there's also failure that is not the result of corruption and greed or malevolence. Mm-hmm. There's also failure that is not the result of negligence. Mm. There is a certain amount of failure, which simply happens in life. Mm-hmm. However prepared you are, I mean, you cannot be, fully prepared for everything that might happen. Mm -hmm. No one can be, no institution can be. Yeah. Well, so I, I think when things happen and it's tempting to blame someone else, I think we, we need to think and talk about the trade-offs that occurred. Mm Mm-hmm in the decision-making process that led us to where we are, the trade-offs that are occurring at the moment as we suffer the consequences of the negative thing, which is happening mm-hmm. and the, and, and do some sort of sober, humble cost benefit analysis and say, what would it take to change this? You know, not so much even like what was the failure that got us here, mm-hmm. but think what would it take to change this in the future? And is it worth doing that? I think oh, I, there was something I read recently that I, I'm, I'm not recalling now, but this idea that the past is past, you know, whether it's someone else's fault or not, whether it's your fault or not, it's in the past now. Mm-hmm. Like learn from what you can, but you can't change it. Mm-hmm. And blaming yourself or blaming someone else, or even just beating yourself up about the decisions you made in your own personal life that are causing you um, negative effects now there's not a lot of sense dwelling too much on it, mm-hmm. you know, past the point that you understand that you made a mistake. It's much more productive to think, what could I do to make sure that that doesn't happen again? And, and seriously come up with an answer to that. Yeah. Here's what I could do to prevent that from ever happening again. And then you can say, is that worth doing? Yeah. Or even not even prevent it from happening is like when that happens again, here's what we will do. Mm -hmm. So even if like 
no changes are made from this point, from this, this situation right now, it's maybe it's the point is like, Hey, Hey guys, we're about to come through this moment where this happens ever so often and we'll probably lose some power. Uh, here are some resources. These places are open for you. They have generators and you Mm -hmm. go there. Um, uh, you know, uh, I I don't know, food sources or, or whatever it might be to help, um, it's not to solve the problem, but it's more to help us get us through that moment. Mm-hmm. So like that might be a, a better use of resources to get us through that moment rather than trying to solve the problem, which would take yeah. a lot of resources and a lot of totally. time that we actually might be needing to focus on different areas. But it's just that this is such a hot topic right now that we think it's the most important thing to solve mm-hmm. where it might not be, or it, or it might be, you know, I, I don't, I'm not making a judgment on that. I'm, but it's more of like, you're going to sacrifice something if you're going to put a lot of attention into. And all of that is like, that's such an interesting thing to think about in a healthy and productive thought process to go through. Mm-hmm. And this whole, <clears throat> well, it's the GOP's fault. Or it's mm-hmm. the progressive's fault or whatever. Mm-hmm. This whole position forfeits, forfeits your whole entrance into that thought process. Yeah, It's like you go completely around that. Mm. You don't have to think about what does it take to get through it? What does it take to prepare for it? What does it take to respond to it? You know, what is the mental fortitude we need? The mm-hmm. psychological fortitude? What is the um, cost benefit analysis on, you know, my own personal response to this? It's like you get to bypass all of that and just say, you know, if only they just approved my favorite politician's policy, this never would have happened. That's the whole problem, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. but you're missing out on the meat of life by doing that you're missing out by the meat of thinking. And that's, that's the good stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, it reminds me of a, Oh, I won't go into that analogy. It was like a, (laughs) something of meat, bone, bone marrow, wings. You know, it's like you get, (laughs) you get into that one little spot and you kind of suck on a little bit. All right. I said I wasn't going to do it, but I that's did. all the joy in your face yeah. when you're no, but it's like when we talk about these things, I think uh, oh, there's so many fascinating things to think about and talk about mm-hmm. as in response to something like this and to just play the blame game. Ah, uh, yeah. It's like you, 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 you rob yourself of what makes life interesting. Yeah. I mean, playing the bank, the blame game is just a guarantee for you to be miserable. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's like, uh, you know, that your orientation in life, I think will really determine how you, you take on adversity. Um, you know, one thing that's just been beaten into me through years of entrepreneurship is like, you know, it fucking sucks to learn a lesson. Mm-hmm. I mean, it fucking sucks. And I'll say that over and over again, quite a few times, <laughs> but those are the, those are the most valuable well, things I have in my arsenal, my, my tool belt. Yeah, is, but does it suck worse than not ever learning that lesson? Golly. Um, usually I, my experience is if I didn't learn it the first time, it comes up the second time. If I don't right. learn it the second time. So a lot of times it's just, it's, it's like, no, you're going to learn this lesson. So are you going to learn it now? Are you going to, are you going to just keep letting it <laughs> punch you in the face until you learn the lesson? You know, yeah, it's like, right. 
It, well, I guess I was trying to compare like it sucks to learn lessons because uh-huh. learning lessons usually involves a sting, a pinch, some kind of failure, right? Yeah. But does it suck? Does that suck? The the sting does that suck more mm-hmm. than simply not learning the lesson? It's like if you no. just forfeit your mm-hmm. right to learn the lesson. Now you never learn that lesson. Mm-hmm. You just don't learn. Now you're just ignorant to that. Yeah. Like to me, that idea sucks a lot worse mm-hmm. than whatever pain it takes to learn a valuable lesson. Like the value of a valuable lesson to me is greater than the pain it takes to learn it. Yeah. Because the alternative is ignorance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, you don't know you're ignorant until you wake up. <laughs> totally. But then the, when you wake up and you see your yourself relative to your ignorant previous self, yeah, that's enlightenment on some small level, right? Uh-huh. And that, I'm like, uh, more, please, more of that. Because how ignorant am I now that yes. I don't even know about? I was about to say the same. I thought that's, you were getting into that. That was, I think that's the point where you have to, that, 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 that type of mindset and framework leads you to is like, wow, how much more am I ignorant of? And then when yes. something, when, at, when, um, when some sort of, uh, issue or problem comes into your life, instead of fighting it, you kind of release into it and like, okay, what am what do I need to learn from this? Like yeah. that, that becomes your attitude rather than, man, this sucks. If so-and-so wasn't like this or my boss wasn't like this, then this wouldn't be this way or that way. Or, and also the sting is much less when yeah. you relinquish yourself to it. It's like the cold showers. Yes. <laughs> comes back to the cold showers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so true. No, I, I think that's one thing I, I see, um, especially people who've worked for me in the past and now and presently too is, whenever there's, there's always an issue, there's always something that comes up. It, it just never fails. And that's something that you, you cannot get around. And it's always been amazing to me to see and watch people grow and mature in their, the way they uh, encounter adversity. Um, you know, a lot of times, and again, I'm just, this is just a completely general spitball. A lot of times whenever an issue comes up, um, someone will come up to me and tell me like, here's a problem. And, but they're saying in a way that they want me to solve it. And it took me a while or, but early on. And then I, I kind of found, I was like, okay, instead of me solving it for them, I would just, I would just say, Hey, what, what are two or three solutions that you can see to solve this problem? And like, Oh no. Well, and, and so it puts it back into like, okay, well, what, what, what can you do about that? Rather than always turning to somebody to solve the problem for you mm-hmm. is like, so like, it's been cool because then I would see, and again, this is just over the, over the years is like, see my managers also do that with other people is sort of like, okay, you have a problem. Okay. Well, give me a couple of solutions to that problem. Cause it's so easy just to say what's wrong with the world or what's wrong with mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Um, rather than coming up with some solutions, you know, it's like, and a lot of times when you're first starting out and you're coming up with solutions, they're pretty shit solutions. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm just speaking from experience, you know, it's like, but the more that you do that, the better 
you are and coming up with solutions or alternative ways to look at the situation. And I think that's just really, it's such a valuable thing to have is just, if you find yourself blaming, come up with some solutions. What would you do in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. They might not work. No, maybe somebody not listen to you, but there's something about shifting your orientation. Maybe it gives you perspective Mm -hmm. or, maybe you actually do come up with a solution mm-hmm. that's better than anyone else's. Totally. Yeah. And then you go implement that and everyone's life improves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's so true. <laughs> oh, I love that. What's that? Well, it's just being solutions oriented. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, that's the sort of like the future focused versus the past focused blame is focused on the past. Solutions are focused on the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even a focus. It's just by necessity. You can't blame the future, you know, and you can't solve the past. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, again, it's like, there's a part two is like being solution oriented. And again, I want to be careful too, because being solution oriented is not necessarily, it's not about solving the problem, but it's, it's being solution oriented helps you start to dialogue in a healthy way to find, maybe find a solution, you know, and it might be something that takes more time to actually find a, and it might take multiple, um, multiple executions on some of those solutions to actually find something that works. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I talk about this all the time, but it's like, you know, we make plans, but you and I both know that our plans are probably not going to work out the way that we have thought of them. But we also know that if we don't make plans and put something (laughs) into the future, nothing's going to happen. Right. (laughs) So it's like, it's more like, I'm going to make this cute little plan. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe even give it a little name. Give it a name. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But we know it's it's not going to look like that. It's going to look like possibly even something way, way better than what we could ever have imagined. But if we didn't make that cute little plan (laughs) or make up those cute little solutions, it's like... (laughs) You you don't get anywhere unless you start. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Blaming's not starting. (laughs) Blaming is not starting. Yeah, absolutely. What is it? Blaming is just ref- it's, it's refusing to start. Mm-hmm. It's like stopping the whole train and saying, I refuse to go again. Mm-hmm. It's the only way you win that is for the other person to say, you know what? You're right. <laughs> yeah. And well, and then what? That still yeah. doesn't start anything. Mm-mm. It's like, okay. Even if the other person says, you're right. It was my fault. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not, we're still not going anywhere. Yeah. That's not a solution. Well, I find a lot of times I'm with people like in this, just in the the things that we've been kind of discussing, the blame game is more of like, it's your fault, except my answer. You know, so it's mm-hmm. more of like, accept your complicity and complicity in this complicity, complicity, <laughs> complicity yeah. in this. And then you must accept my way of doing it. And that's really just not fair. Well, I mean, if you're going to <laughs> uphold that as a principle, uh, you, if you are the one who's saying, accept your complicity and then accept my answer, mm-hmm. you are very quickly going to be the, on the other side of that equation. Because it's very unlikely that your answer <laughs> is going to withstand the next person accusing mm-hmm. you of complicity. Mm-hmm. You know? That so that that as a principle mm-hmm. played out over time 
does not serve anyone very well. Yeah. Well, again, I think that's where I see this. I see this emulated. I'm just going to use these two as an example, like a Tulsi Gabbard and a Dan Crenshaw. Mm -hmm. Like I see them sitting on two different sides of the aisle and have different ways of doing things. Whether I tend, whether I want to believe this or not, I don't know. But like, I, I find that they would, they would interact in that way that they would disagree with each other, but they could find some common ground and move forward. I don't see that in a lot of the Democrat Republican um, dialogues right now. Yeah. I would say to me, it seems like they have at least some number of shared principles, mm-hmm. you know, even if they disagree on the interpretations. Mm-hmm they share some principles. Yeah. Not, I, I wish I could name one. I, I can't think of one right now, but <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's again, it's a very vague example. And, and probably a lot of what I'm based on that office is, is the public persona that I understand them to be. Right. <clears throat> um, like individually, I see them in that way. And I, uh, and I've also heard them talk about each other in that same way. Like, as if they would be friends, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe are friends. I don't know. Um, but where I, what I hear um, a lot on the left and the right is sort of, it's more of an adversarial relationship. Yeah. And that's just, that's just nothing works well with an adversarial, <laughs> you know, not when we have to share space, Mm-mm. not when we have to share land. Yeah, I mean, where seventy-five million voted for Trump and seven or eighty million voted for Biden, it's like we need to find some common ground. Mm-hmm. Stop the name calling and stop the blaming. Stop the blaming. <sighs> yep. Okay. Well, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> when was our podcast? Oh shit, we talked about politics. Oh gosh, it's probably like last year, right now. Yeah. Probably. I, oh, it was pre-COVID. It was pre-COVID, yeah. It was February, yeah. which we're in. So here you are, a year later. <laughs> we talk about politics every episode. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more intertwined into our yeah. our, our uh, philosophical... Well, I meanings. seem to remember we asked a question back then on that episode, like, is it because of we're of our age? Have we, like, entered a point where that's, mm. like, interesting to us or mm-hmm. important to us? Or is it just the times? And I, I think after a year, I feel pretty convinced that it's a societal move. Yeah, interesting. I I probably agree with you. Why would you say it's societal? Because I notice it's, it's not just me. Mm. I mean, I, I notice all kinds of people tweeting and Instagramming and talking about senators and Congress people and politics mm-hmm. in their day to day lives. That wasn't happening, you know, a few years ago. So, like, do you think it's more of a necessity that you and I moved into this area? I don't, well, maybe, I mean, it was like, it was an, it used to be an opt in. (laughs) Uh You would opt into caring about politics. True. True. Yeah. Now you have to opt out. Mm -hmm. And I'm not exactly sure why that shift happened, but that seems clear to me that you, you, you have to opt out now. Politics are a regular part of life. I will have to say I've been, I have been opting out more in the last, I've noticed it in myself last two weeks specifically but 
uh, in the last month. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find there's so many other interesting things going on. Uh, I mean, we're freaking a helicopter thing landed on Mars today. Oh man. What we the hell? Get to that. We're not talking about this yeah, shit. Yeah, totally. You know, uh, I mean, what's I happening? I love how you describe that. A helicopter thing. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Because we yeah, what is it? <laughs> what is it's it? A, it's, a hel- it's a Martian helicopter. It <laughs> yeah. defies earthly categories. Yeah. It, is, it can do things that, I, mean, I remember like when that one little tractor thing, you know, landed on Mars mm-hmm. and it, it took some pictures. Curiosity. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but this is like a hell, it can fly around or whatever. Yeah, That's crazy. Uh, I love it tweeted today. Uh, basically like here's my first picks from my new forever home because <laughs> it's there forever it's never coming <laughs> it's back never coming back uh, i mean bitcoin mm-hmm. that's just crazy right now yeah and the conversation around that and fiat currency is much phenomenal. more interesting than politics but we're not talking about it well yeah i mean you and i are kind of new in this area but again where up until this moment, there's large institutions taking positions in this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's a fascinating thing. Like, what does that mean future wise for yeah. us? Um, I mean, what else is, um, <clears throat> I mean, you and I have some fantastic, amazing ideas and thoughts. Where's that yeah, about the totally. future just outside of politics. That's really cool. You know, that's been really good. I, I feel like I've been a lot more heads down. Mm-hmm working on things, mm-hmm. listening to less news, reading Twitter less. That's been good. Yeah. It's been good for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too, you and I have kind of navigated the the landscape. So we kind of have our, you know, we kind of understand the landscape of, okay, here's some progressive thought, left-leaning thought, center, right, you know, like the whole spectrum. Right. So now I can feel like I can kind of jump in, jump out. Cause you have some shorthand understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the you've slash mapped, has been good. It's like you've mapped the space a bit. Yeah. So, well, it goes back to how we started this podcast. It's like, as long as your structure, your routine doesn't change too much, mm-hmm. you kind of have like spatial categories in which to put things. Mm-hmm. And as long as things don't change too much, you don't really have to remap it, mm-hmm. you know, so you can find space to read or you can find space to do what you need to do. Um, so once you have something mapped, which usually takes pretty intense effort and concentration, totally. mm-hmm. then you can kind of opt in, opt out at your will because, mm-hmm. you know, at least the the broad structures. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, that was like, for me, like in philosophy, when I first started off, it was like overwhelming. But once you get kind of a, the landscape of philosophy, it's so much easier to engage with, even though you might be encountering new concepts and ideas that you have to spend time on. It's like, you still have a framework, whether, however accurate it might be, you still have a framework to work from, you know, which is really helpful. Right. Hmm. That's encouraging. Well, we're a little over time. Maybe oh, we, we should end it here. <laughs> that sounds good. It's a good conversation. Oh man. I was oh. ready to like jump off into something I else. Know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, it, the other, so hmm. structure wise, mm-hmm. we podcast, we have podcasted every Wednesday for over a year. Damn. Today's Thursday. 
feels very strange because this oh. whole time in my mind, I was thinking it's podcast night. Mm-hmm. It's Wednesday night. It's Wednesday night. Yeah. I've got two more days. <laughs> no, tomorrow is Friday. So cheers, y'all. Cheers. Love you. Thanks for listening. Yeah, definitely. Thank y'all. See you next time. See you guys. Bye. Bye.